Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Supply Chain CEOs. Martin Harsberger, your host. Today I have Andy Dyer, President of Transportation Management for AFS Logistics. Andy, welcome. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about AFS. Your your vision of, or your version of uh, AFS logistics, and we know we had one of your colleagues on last week, and uh, I think uh, audit. Sure, sure. So AFS is a thirty nine year uh, year old company founded in the early eighties, uh, and, and its founding service was uh, freight bill audit and payment services. And uh, from there, our, our founder and owner Brian. Uh, started leveraging the data he had and informing his customers, hey, why are you paying 12 cents a pound when I see the other guys paying 10? Maybe I can get you some insight and help you negotiate down your rate. That then led to uh, expanding into parcel. That then expanded into uh, what I call the execution services, which is freight forwarding, truckload brokerage, and managed transportation, which is the services that I support with my team. Awesome. So how'd you get into the logistics business? I started off in a trucking dive. So in 1991, and uh, uh, moving freight, got tow motor certified my first 24 hours on the job, bought my first pair of steel tow boots uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, that, that ultimately landed into a, in a dedicated account management job for what was the, the company's third largest customer at the time. Um, and then I moved over to uh, the Menlo brand name uh, back in the uh, mid-90s and uh, started running parts for inbound manufacturing. And uh, never looked back and, and enjoyed a 22-year career there, uh, managing distribution facilities, managed transportation, manufacturing plants, kitting operations, and forwarding operations. Awesome. So uh, with your division of AFS, what, what's your uh, business outlook look like now with COVID and the supply chain where it is? And <laughs> Well, busy. I, I think, you know, I think, you know, everybody can agree on the very polite word to characterize today's environment as busy, um, which is true. I mean, there's a lot to do. Um, I, I will say it's harder to get the same things accomplished now than just 24 months ago. Um, but uh, that, that's what we're paid to do, right, is, is to enable commerce uh, and enable livelihoods. And that's what logistics is all about. So uh, I, I would just say busy uh, is, is really kind of the big word I, I in front of us right now. One of the things I want to talk about, I usually ask what's your differentiator. In your case, um, I know a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. But I talked a little bit about, uh, Roberta mentioned uh, your inventory management process. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I, in the wake of COVID and in the beginnings of uh, of, of, of rebuilding and reopening based on that, I think what we've seen is uh, a significant amount of stress and risk that has been exposed in supply chains. Okay, so over the years, 
uh, starting in the late seventies, early eighties, we all know the stories uh, of you know leaning out inventories uh, and one and uh, lengthening uh, supply lines in order to get to uh, lower cost uh, manufacturing centers. And what that has meant is when you introduce stress to these environments today, we have stockouts, we have longer lead times, um, and you know it, it just look at what happened in the U.S. in the first half of this year, whereby we had seven plus automotive manufacturing facilities shut down because of lack of parts. Yeah. Having spent a great deal of time in the automotive industry myself, that is like the apocalypse from the automotive uh, industry's point of view, and, and understandably so. Uh, that is a big deal. So we started trying to understand how are ways that we can help people fix this problem without causing some other problems, right? Because there's a way to fix this, which is either Shorten your source, your supply chain, so your source is closer to to your consumption or manufacturing point, or um, buy more inventory and build more inventory. Well, both of those have a cost, uh, and in particular, the latter uh, has the cost of uh, chewing up a lot of cash on a balance sheet, uh, which no one really wants to do, and, and for understandable reasons. Um, and then shortening your supply chain can also have some difficulties because then you have to reassess source points, you have to vet suppliers, you have to deal with QA, and all the other transition activities go along with that. So we were we were trying to figure out a way, how can we help people stay with the source points they have, build the inventory they want, and also not have the balance sheet impact. So we came up with a 4PL product whereby we uh, manage that inventory flow all the way from source to, to manufacturing consumption point, and we will also purchase it at point of, of, of origin and uh, relieve the buyer of goods and manufacturer for purposes of our discussion here of having to take that extra balance sheet hit. But they will get an increased safety stock of inventory at a plant adjacent location that will relieve some of the stresses of any supply chain disruptions. Yeah, it makes a huge trade-off for manufacturer. <clears throat> and last years after I got out of manufacturing myself, I've been working with manufacturers as a, as a uh, consultant or coach. And the, uh, it is a trade-off. Number one, a lot of manufacturing companies don't use asset-based lenders. They use community banks. Mm-hmm. Community and on inventory. So if I have a million dollars worth of inventory sitting in my warehouse, I can't borrow on that and I can't generate revenue with that until I do something with it. Right? So... The fact that the supply chain is getting uh, iffy <laughs> or worse, uh, people are—you're right. There's two options. They can either try to try to stock it and, and tie their cash up, or they can try to expedite LTL loads, which is you don't save anything because the freight kills you, right? Where ten cents a pound on a truckload may be three dollars a pound on LTL, right? For, yeah. for whatever the rate is, so. Uh, I think everybody's going to be interested in exactly how that works. How how did you know it's raw material? Obviously, what you're interested in. You don't do any whip or, or finished goods. I'm assuming. But, well, but we can but we can also work with componentry too. So sub sub assembled components uh, that would go into larger complex manufactured items uh, would also qualify here as well. So read that as heavy industrial you know part components go into heavy industrial vehicles, aviation, um, you know, energy. Turbines, things of that nature. That could well, I mean, crash question <laughs> because everybody's going to ask the same thing. How do you guys make money at that? I mean, it's your cash now. Well, so we, we have access to uh, you know, very favorable financing and we try to put together a model. We think we've succeeded where everybody wins because everybody has to get something out of a deal for it to win. Okay. So that's the way I look at this is, you know, how can everybody get enough value out of the transaction? 
action that it's it's worth participating. So what we can do, you know, from the supplier's point of view, is they can sell to us. Of course, we're going to take a discount, or they're going to take a discount uh, against the uh, against the the sell price from their point of view in order to help fund the transaction. But they get to get cashed out at moment of of, of shipment. Uh, they also get to sell in larger economic order quantities. Okay, so we'll buy it, you know, say ten containers worth of things at a time, bring them. Uh, to uh, a plant adjacent or plant near uh, location for the manufacturer, and then the manufacturer buys them five pallets at a time. Okay. Yeah. Over over a committed buy through time, 60, 90, 120 days as example, but that can all be negotiated to whatever makes sense. So supplier, yet they get cashed out. They also get to sell in larger economic order quantities. The buyer gets, um, gets the same purchase price that they had uh, with the supplier to begin with, but they have um, again safety stocks nearby to to uh, buffer against any other disruptions. And of course, we do take a fee for all of this. Uh, but the point is, everybody gets value here. Is what this is all about. Is there a, is there a minimum? Um, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this because a lot of my customers I deal with are I try to stay under hundred million in sales. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like dealing with big companies. <laughs> you know, the frustration, I've done all that. So I try to stay with the mid-tier manufacturers. Is there a, a size requirement or a minimum order requirement or something? How do you guys scale your... Well, I, I do want to hesitate putting uh, boundaries on, on the solution for purposes of this conversation, Mark, only because um, with a developing service line such as this, uh, I think most, you know, to me, let's have the conversation first, Okay. Uh, but these, but we do, we do look at this as being healthy seven-figure, healthy five-figure uh, types of deals. All right, managing to, to speak in extremes, you know, managing uh, fifty thousand dollar inventory of some small, uh, you know, consumable part like a button plug that you put in uh, put in a refrigerator. That's not going to work here. <laughs> right. You know, we're going to be looking more at the compressors, the steel, things of that nature. Yeah. Okay. What, you know, the, the $50,000 doesn't bother the manufacturer either. They can put 50000 Exactly. Exactly. What is 60 What is sixty versus 50 in the context of a, a multi-million manufacturing population, right? The other thing I assume you, you'd find commonality among manufacturers where you could, you, could, you could get economies of scale by supplying the same material to two or three different that, that could happen. Um, that could happen. It, it, but to be clear, we're not looking to become a distributor in the sense that I buy 100,000 units and I hope I can sell them all. Okay. These, these funded transactions have guaranteed uh, purchases and guaranteed sellback concepts in them. Okay. Yes. So this so we're not taking the risk that if you know that to use a retail analogy that if I'm going to buy you know the super cool newest uh, you know yellow tank top that everybody's going to want the hundred thousand that I bought. <laughs> right? So, well, again, these are questions that without oh, yeah. uh, that, that if I were sitting in my plant today, mm-hmm. everything is is pricing. Let me ask you this: I mean, I, I've had a lot of my I had a, I ran an HAC manufacturing company right after nine eleven. My copper prices went from 72 cents a pound to about three bucks. I did it on uh, municipal bids. It was for schools, basically. All my, all my uh, stuff went into schools. So they would bid one year. They would install it the next year. Yep. So by the time I came down, to, down the road, <laughs> yeah, I got murdered on some of that. So um, 
how do you handle price variances and everything? I mean, we so so we do not want to get in between the buyer and the buyer and the supplier with regards to negotiating the purchase price for whatever the commodity or the item might be. Okay, so we don't we do not take on that role, and nor do we want to disintermediate the buyer. They're still in charge. They know the supplier they want to use. They have their quality standards. They have their specs for whatever the items it is that they're buying. And they set the price with their supplier. However, what this, this service does as, as a corollary benefit, it does offer some price insulation in that if you're buying six, seven, eight months of material at one time, you are insulated against any price volatility that may happen. We don't sell that as a primary value because that can work against you any other way if, if, if it starts to tumble, <laughs> right? <laughs> but in, in, in an upcycle like we're in right now, it, it can be a secondary benefit. Um, and, and again, the supplier wins because they're able to sell a, a significant economic order quantity now as opposed to waiting till later. Well, I mean, I, I'm sitting here in, my, in North Mississippi. We've got a, a, a Toyota plant about 10 miles from my house. And a lot of tier ones around here. And there's, there, there's suppliers to Caterpillar, John Deere. Even, even suppliers that big right now can't get, I've had a John Deere line shut down because of screws, believe it or not. <laughs> and they couldn't get a specialty screw. So uh, it wasn't just John Deere line. It was the tier one that supplied John Deere. But uh, so, I mean, the, the safety stock is what you're really talking about. You're, you're, you're saying you're going to give them safety stock, you're going to shorten the supply chain. Yeah, they're going to pay a little bit more for that. But, you know, in the long run, with expedited freight and everything, is it really going to cost more? Do you guys have some kind of model that you can price that out? And, and, and We do. We, we have all of, we have partnered with a uh, very well-known and very well-respected uh, fintech organization um, to, to help us with this. Um, and we're in it together. So between us, we have all the financial modeling capability we need to see if a deal makes sense and what's the financial value to all the parties involved. That's the key. Yeah, I mean, I would think this would be any person, you know, for what it's worth, it'd be an easy shelter manufacturer, especially today. Well, how new is this program? Uh, we, uh, uh, my first conversation uh, with uh, with my partners was uh, November of 2020. Uh, wow. We have brought it to market uh, starting uh, uh, this past summer, um, and we have the, the software platform to provide all the inventory visibility uh, and, and, uh, and, and transaction monitoring as well. Because what's important here is, as a buyer of things, I need to know how much stuff do I have. Where is all that stuff? And oh, by the way, what's my commitment to buy through? So there's not a big surprise one day uh, when they've reached a commitment. So we have the software tools to do that and all the financial modeling capabilities as well. Again, to assess where's the value and what does everybody get to make it worth uh, worth their while to participate? Yeah, for sure. No, so uh, she mentioned been briefly, that's about, I'd really like to know more about that. So I'm, I appreciate you coming on talking about yeah. it. This will be uh, one episode I'll try to get some pretty good play on for you. Yeah, awesome. So where do you think your industry is going? Trucking? What, you say what supply chain broadly or? Well, your, your, your section of the business, transportation management, right? does that include trucking as well? It does. It does. So I, 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 uh, I uh, manage or otherwise 
uh, intersect with LTL, truckload, intermodal, uh, air, and, uh, and, and international uh, surface. So, yes. That's interesting. Uh, I know the driver situation with the, with that. In fact, I, I noticed here on LinkedIn your, your uh, connection with Michael uh, Solarchik. Uh, yes. I just had him on a few weeks ago, and we were talking yep. about containers and there aren't any containers, you know. So, I mean, the whole what's your what's your take on what when this thing is going to even out? Oh, golly. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go with conventional wisdom on this one and, and not stick my neck out there, but it's going to be a first half 22. 22 uh, issue. I, I really do think that. I think that there's so much disruption and so much out of balance right now. Um, and then, quite frankly, there is still some volatility and uncertainty uh, to uh, reopening and, and hence consumption uh, in the future, too. So, you know, I think it's going to be every bit of first half next year before we see any significant dampening to volatility. Uh, I, I do. Any advice you can give the manufacturers to try to offset that and talk to you about your inventory? Well, I mean, other than <laughs> other than that, think ahead. Think ahead. This you got to play the long game here. You absolutely do. Uh, managing to next quarter, while I know it's tempting, is not going to give you the solution you need. So you got to think ahead and you got to think long term. That you absolutely have to. What do you think the biggest threats are with this, other than COVID? I mean, we got to, uh, We're assuming that COVID is going to go away at some point. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonable. At some point, it will abate. I mean, every every, every uh, let's just say you know large uh, health threat uh, in, in, in you know in known history has eventually abated. <laughs> it's, we wouldn't otherwise we wouldn't be here, right? Um, so yeah, it will go away, and, and it will go away at some point. Um, you know what's what's the risk? Um, how quickly we can recover from imbalances? Um, I, I do worry about. Uh, regulatory uh, involvement that while as good natured as it may be, may or may not be, uh, you know, uh, delivering the outcomes uh, that we would want, whether it be in the short or the long run, and particularly the long run, uh, because a lot of times these regulatory measures don't always look out uh, as far as they have. Uh, so that worries me about, again, best of all intentions that may have unintended consequences. Well, I think when we went to this global look and, and, and uh, outsourced so many things to the to China for one one area, uh, we we somehow didn't anticipate what if there is a political upheaval or what if there is some kind of disconnect in that supply chain. I mean, I think the biggest risk there to myself is a lot of the things that we did out to chips for automotives, for, for example, that we did outsource. Uh, you know, have we, we, we taken any corrective measures to bring some of that back in here, some of the, some of the manufacturing back into the states? Uh, but it just seems like it's getting riskier and riskier to try to, because when you talk about global supply chain, you're really talking about one area primarily, right? I mean, most everything we order comes from that section of the world. Well, yeah, I mean, we we got here, and again, we can all put our own calendar to it, but we got here by managing to the port. That's how yeah. this happened. Right. <laughs> okay, that is how this happened. We managed as a as a business population. We managed to the port. That's how we got here. No one managed to the year or the decade. And when you start, and that's my point, you know, to have the long view, play the long game here would be my advice to anybody to, to help you from get, being here again. Yeah, that's an awesome point. You're right, we created it ourselves. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, Andy? Um, so I'll be sure you have my contact information, but my email is, is really easy, adire at afs.net, easiest email address I've ever had. So. <laughs> 
got to, yeah, but you don't have a harsh for your last name, so you've got to go ahead. <laughs> Anything else you want to add? Uh, well, you know, I just, you know, want to, want to thank you for uh, opening up this conversation because, you know, I really do think one of the ways to solve for future disruption and, and also, you know, salve current need are services just like this. We have to think differently. Uh, you know, brute force and hope are not a strategy. That's right. So beating on suppliers, beating on the traffic department, <laughs> uh, beating on manufacturing, uh, taking price increases with customers. I know these are all things and, and levers and dials on the board uh, to play, but but again, I, I think the way to really get there is thinking in the long term and changing the game. And this is one of the ways to change the game. That's one reason I looked at manufacturing and supply chain. They're all one. But you're exactly right. The, the mentality has been up to now. We beat up the suppliers. We beat up the, the freight companies. Everybody's trying to squeeze everybody else, but nobody's working together. And we've got to find a way to work together. Change the system. That's what we're trying to do. And again, I think we can unlock value for a lot of parties and all still be friends when it's all said and done, too. <laughs> That's right. And I think the program that uh, looking at it as win-win is not look that. Listen, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Fantastic conversation. Thank you for thank you for having it. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain, would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com/apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger. Uh, or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.